You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We're working through kind of the first half of the book of John. We're actually almost done uh, with with our time in John. We're going to go through John chapter 11, uh, and then we're going to stop. Uh, in the book of John. John continues on after John chapter 11, by the way, um, where uh, it goes to the Passion Week. So in John 12, we have Palm Sunday, the the triumphal entry, and then all of the rest of the the end of Jesus' life um, takes place for the next little bit of John. Uh, But for our purposes, we're only going through the first section, Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Um, So Jesus is still um, heading towards the cross, heading towards the moment when he's inaugurated um, the, the king, Hosanna in the highest, he's still on his way there, but he's running into conflict all along the way. So we're in John chapter 10 today, if you have your Bible. Um, John chapter 10, we'll be in verse 22 and following um, today. So you can just find there. John, by the way, if, you, if you're uh, not familiar, um, it's about this far into your Bible. This is the back of my Bible. This is the front of my Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, it's, it's right there. It's a, it's a decent-sized book. Um, and John chapter 10 is where we'll be camping out. Today And one of the things that we're, uh, we're going to find out today is, is there comes a time uh, in the life of everybody um, that we have to deal with Jesus. And in fact, in this time, uh, they want to know who Jesus is. You know, that question of who is Jesus has been a question that's been asked from the time Jesus first showed up until today. People are still fighting with the question of who exactly Jesus is, what is he truly, and Jesus wants to set the record straight today um, through his word. And so we're going to find out the plain truth about who Jesus really is, not, not some sort of made-up, theologized kind of guess of what he could be. Who does Jesus say he is? And we'll pick up in verse 22, and this is what it says. It says, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gather around him and said to him, How long are you keep, or, or will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus is is asked, he's walking in in, in the temple, it's another feast time, so the temple is full. It's busy with activity. It's not, um, you know, it's, it's Easter Sunday. It's a full crowd at the temple, and they're gathered around him, and, and someone in the crowd says, this has gone on long enough. Who are you? Tell us plainly. If you're the Christ, say it. Say, I am the Christ. The Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one that Israel is waiting on. To bring about uh, the, the, the like beginning of the reign of the Jews again. He was going to inaugurate a kingdom. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. And in that moment, God was going to reestablish the nation of Israel as a power player on the world stage. 
They said, are you that Christ? Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. And Jesus looks at them and says, I feel like I've already told you this. Right? And maybe you've been like this as a parent. I get like this sometimes. You know, I say something to my kids, and then they ask again. And I'm like, if you would listen to what I said, you would already have the answer to the question that you're, you're asking me. Uh, I was explaining a game in this room uh, on Friday night, uh, a game that, that probably is not the most church-appropriate game. It's called Murder in the Dark, um, right? So it involves killing people in the dark at the church. Not great. Okay, I understand. There's probably a way to make it more Baptist-friendly, but that's the way I learned it. That's the way I play it. And I was explaining the rules to the game, and it's a fairly simple game if you'll listen to the rules. And I've explained the rules to this game a hundred times in my life. In my youth ministry career, I've explained this game easily a hundred times. And I always say, don't ask me a question till I'm done. And when I'm done, you won't have any questions. But inevitably, I'll be like, okay, so there's three cards. How do I get a card? No, stop, stop. Don't ask questions right now, right? If you'll just listen to what I say, you'll know the answer to every question you're going to have that matters. You may have a question that doesn't particularly matter, but every question that you could possibly have that matters for making this game work will be answered in due time. Just wait, right? And they just don't listen. And that's what Jesus was dealing with during this time. He's like, I've shown you who I am. I've told you who I am, and you still can't believe it. And there's this idea that they can't believe. It's not even that they just don't believe it. It's that they haven't been able to believe it yet. And Jesus uh, goes back to something he had said earlier. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Right? They know it's true because they're my sheep. And there's a, there's a moment in the life of the believer when we become just keenly aware of the truth of what God has said. Right, where we're all of a sudden the things that we've kind of fought with and the battles that we've waged in our minds uh, begin to fade away and we're like, oh, that's what it was. But it takes a moment just to step in faith. Right? It's a step in faith. I was talking to someone just, just this week um, about dealing, talking with people who are skeptics about Christianity. And there's a lot of skeptics about Christianity. You know, skeptics about Christianity have all sorts of questions, and a lot of them are good, valid questions, questions that you should probably think about, right? You should probably, inside of your heart and in your time with God, deal with some of the objections that they have about faith, just so you have um, a, an answer or a response or something in you when doubt creeps in to help you through those kind of dark nights or dark seasons of the soul. But I was saying, and I was talking to this guy, and he was like, He's like, my friend was asking me all these specific questions, and, and he asked me this real specific question. He said, look, I can answer your question, but it's, it's not going to help you, right? Because it, it, it doesn't really, it's not really going to make real sense to you without faith. And, and that's true, right? And, and if you've ever done the conversation with someone over and over and over again, you see it. That you deal with the same objection, and you beat the objection down, and you come back a week later, and it's the same conversation again, right? And the, the issue isn't that your solution isn't okay. The issue is that that person hasn't believed yet. And so without faith, some things become hard to see. 
And then when you live in faith, that you have the Holy Spirit illuminating things in your life, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that does make sense. That, that does add up. I can see how these things come. But faith kind of activates our ability to understand things. You know, Paul, you know, when he was on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. Then he goes to see Ananias, um, and Ananias touches him, and scales fall off of his eyes, right? There's these scales that fall off his eyes, and he sees clearly in that moment. That's what happens in our moment of faith. Things that were kind of dingy and dull become clear as God removes the scales from our eyes. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. The scales have already been removed from my, their eyes. They can see clearly who the Messiah is. And he gives a promise to the sheep. And I, this isn't the point of the passage, but it's something you need to hear today because people deal with this. They struggle with doubt sometimes of their salvation. Maybe you've been there before, right? You've you, 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 you were a believer in Jesus. Maybe your story's like mine. You were 15 years old. You trusted Christ. You can remember a time when you trusted Christ. You can remember your life before Christ, after Christ. You can remember that moment. But something has happened. Maybe you've chosen to live a life of sin. Maybe you've gotten involved in something, and you've spiraled for a season. And then you look up, and you're like, how could a Christian be where I am now? So maybe I never was a Christian. And you start dealing with those issues. I want you to know what, what Jesus says about salvation. Jesus says, I'm the one who holds your salvation, right? He is the good shepherd, and the sheep know his voice. And he says, I hold on to them, and nothing can snatch them from my hand. Right? That is a good word from God, that if you're his sheep, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard the world tries, you belong to him. Now, your life may not be fruitful. It may not be positive. It may not be happy. You may feel empty and sad and lonely if you live a life of sin. You may live an active rebellion, but you are his. Right? I have children, a gaggle of them, currently six. Yes, okay. I was thinking five for a second there. It's six. I have six children. By the way, this was a, a fun locked-in story. I was with a kid. Uh, uh, he was dead in the game, so we were talking. Uh, and I was talking to this, this, this now deceased child, uh, and my son Julian comes in, and he's like, hey, Dad, da 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 ask me whatever. And Julian doesn't look particularly like me um, because he's half black and uh, here no genetic material at all. He's my adopted child. And this other kid's like, how'd you call him Dad? Like, he's like, well, he's my dad. He's like, What? He was just blew his mind, right? It was just this kid's whole world was just changed in that moment. Like, what do you mean he's your dad? Okay, so we had to deal with that issue for a little bit about how adoption works. But, you know, one of the great things about adoption, and even biological children, right, like, like my kids are mine. Right? Nothing can change that. Our relationship could get broken. I've seen it. I have done too many funerals with broken family relations. I want to tell you just a side note. If your family's got brokenness in it right now, push for reconciliation because there's a day when it's too late to reconcile with your family. And those days hurt desperately. I mean, I stand in that room with the family, and they say, well, we're not sure if the brother's coming to the service because mama and him, da 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 80 years ago, 65 years ago, 35 years ago, mama didn't like his wife. I mean, it was his third wife, and he's on his seventh now, but she didn't like that wife, and now the relationship is ruined. Right, and, and, but the hurt is real. If you're if you're not reconciled in your family, seek reconciliation. It is hard. It will be painful. I, I have no doubt. 
um, that there are people that are hard to deal with in your family. If your family's anything like my family, I believe it to be true. There are hard people in every one of our families. But if your if relationships are broken, put, try to put that back together. Because there comes a day when it's too late to do that. But, but Jesus, you know, what, what, when he says, like, my sheep are mine, it's just like my kids. Our relationships could be broken. I hope they never are. I hope I never have an estranged relationship with my child. Um, I hope that that is never my story. But, but if it were my story, they would not cease to be my child. They may be living in active rebellion to everything that I taught them, to everything that I aspired to have for them. But because they're mine now, they're always And if I can hold my kids in my heart like that, you can trust that your Heavenly Father can hold you in salvation so much more secure. I want you to know that if you're you're one of God's sheep, no matter where you've been, He still holds you. It's time to come back, though, if you're wandering. You can live a more purposeful, meaningful life uh, in the hand of Jesus Christ if you'll follow His leadership. But Jesus concludes this story and he says, look, my father and I are one. Right, and that's, that's the big declaration that Jesus gives. He's like, you know who, who God is. You see who I am. He's like, we're one. And this is the beginning of kind of fleshing out the doctrine of the Trinity, but the fact that Jesus inside of himself possesses all of the necessary attributes of the divine. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's an amazing, amazing uh, uh, being. And he tells them very clearly. And in that moment, they know this guy is saying not just that I'm some ruler who's come to lead, some sort of Christ figure that was prophesied from old. This man is claiming to be equal to God. But, you know, the truth is that God and Christ are one. It's a theological truth, and it is a hard truth. Things that other religions deal with and struggle with, this doctrine, the beginning of the doctrine of the Trinity, is one of the hardest doctrines for people to get through. Uh, Islam, which is uh, like devoutly monotheistic, which we would say we are as well, would call Christians uh, polytheistic. They cannot deal with the doctrine of the Trinity and monotheism at the same time. They can't do it. Their minds won't let them uh, uh, convey the idea that God can be three and one, and that Jesus possesses all the fullness of the divine, the Holy Spirit possesses all the fullness of the divine, God the Father possesses all the fullness of the divine, they have different roles, they have equal uh, essences, like that is a hard concept, in fact, uh, if we were to sit down and have a theology class today, and work through the Trinity, and we went four weeks into dealing with the Trinity, you would leave that class, and you would still struggle with the concept of the Trinity, it is a tough teaching, but it is the plain truth that God and Christ are one it's not a deniable truth in fact it's one of the central truths of the church if you ever hear a pastor who denies that truth run away run away any trinity denying heretic that you can find run away most famous trinity denying heretic in the church today is td jakes just so you know right td jakes can say a lot of great things he can be a motivational speaker. Oprah can like him. He is a Trinity-denying heretic, right? I don't have issues with T.D. Jakes. He's just absolutely wrong about who God is. And if you find someone who's absolutely wrong about who God is, do not let that person invest in your spiritual health. You will be horror for it. Don't drink poison, even if it's mixed with sweet juice. 
Don't do it. Put it away. All right, continuing on. God and Christ are one. And then he continues on. The Jews, verse 31, picked up stones again to stone him because that was blasphemy. And Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Basically saying, are you stoning me because I healed the blind man or helped the person who couldn't walk? Or was it because I turned water to wine at the wedding? What exactly did I do that makes you want to stone me? And they said in verse 33, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you. But for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture can't be broken, do you say of him who the, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming? Because I said, I'm the son of God? And if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. A couple things here that really jump out, right? Jesus, first of all, is about to be stoned to death. That's a tough way to die, by the way, right? It's, it's big, kind of like, you know, head-sized rocks being flung at you. Uh, it's a pretty terrible way to go out. They're going to stone him to death for blasphemy, basically saying something untrue, about God making himself out to be God. And so uh, they're, they're, they're about to do it. And Jesus offers his defense. He says, are you stoning me for my good works that I do? They say, no, it's because of what you teach. And Jesus says, look, if you examine my works, they're clearly works from the Father. Right? If you look at what I do, the works are the works from the Father. He says, so even if you can't believe the plain truth about who I am. Even if you can't come to grips with the concept that I am uh, one with the Father, if that is so hard for your mind to get a hold of, just believe the works that I've done. Look at what I've done, examine what I've done, and in that moment, come to peace with the idea that I am not some sort of threat to who you are, and, and, and that didn't really satisfy him because they were still wanting to stone him at the end of it. But here's, here's the point that Jesus is making. You know, there, you may come to a point in your life where the, the plain truth about who Jesus is, is too hard to stomach. Some people in this room today, you may be struggling with Christianity. You may have never moved into belief. And you're just kind of on that edge. You've had conversations. You've had objections. You've uh, seen refutations to your objections. You've gone back and forth and back and forth, and you don't really know what to do, but you're not satisfied that one person in the person of Jesus Christ, all of God's essence and all of God's substance can come to be. And so you say, I, I, I see all the stuff, but I can't believe that. What Jesus implores you to do in that moment is to look at the works of Christ first. Right? And, and the idea is similar to what I was saying earlier. Like, if you would examine the works of Christ, if you would look at what God did through Christ and what Christ did for mankind, and if you would just trust those works, use like that baby step of belief, just a little step of belief, like, I can see that Jesus did these things. And in that moment, the scales can begin to fall from you. You have to begin with some point of belief, and that means sometimes to examine 
the works. Because if, if that truth is too hard, you need to examine the works. And what are the works of God today? Right? Jesus has been gone from the earth now for roughly 2,000 years. Right? He, except for showing up in your French toast. Right? He's generally gone from the earth right, for the last 2,000 years. Not present, not, not making some, some big appearances. Uh, what are the works of God today? I want to tell you what the, the primary work that God is doing today is bringing sinners to salvation. And if you're like me, which some of you are, there was a time in your life before you knew Jesus. And then there was a time in your life after you knew Jesus Christ. And that transition from death to life that took place in that moment of conversion, I was 15 years old when that happened. Some of you, you were much younger. You might have been six years old sitting on your bedside with your parents. What a sweet story that is. Right? What a wonderful show of God's faithfulness that that was your story. But everything that's happened from your life from the moment of your conversion to this day it's, it's some of the works of Christ being done in the world through. Not to say that you are Christ, I really, really don't mean that. I mean, God's faithfulness is shown through the miraculous work that he can save a sinner like me and like you and turn you into a sanctified saint. The fact that I am holier today than I was last year on this Sunday is solely credited to the goodness of God and the work of God through Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. It's not that I'm working harder and I'm white-knuckling through my sin and I'm, I'm getting myself better. I'm bootstrapping myself uh, to get right with the world. It's solely a work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to bring about my sanctification. When we're talking to our friends and our peers, I have a, I have a brother. I love my brother, but he's struggling right now with his faith. I had a conversation with him and uh, he was going round and round and round. He had all these objections. And all of his objections were with the historic part of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, all the way up through the Tower of Babel. 1 through 10 or 11 in the Bible. Everything before Abraham shows up in the Bible, he had objections. He had issues with all of it. And he would ask, well, what about the flood? And I'd be like, well, here's the general flood, da, 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 da. Well, I can't believe the whole world flood. I was like, well, whatever. Like, okay, fine. I don't have to believe it. Right? He's like, what do you mean I don't have to believe it? I was like, Jason. Jason. If the first 11 chapters in the Bible are what's keeping you from, from, from beginning your walk with Christ, let's just ignore them. And let's look at what you see in front of you. I said, examine your life. Do you recognize sin in your life and how that causes conflict in your relationship with other people and with the God who made you? Well, yeah, no, no. And he grew up in church. He knows. He knows the story. He wants to object to everything from back there. I want to tell you, if you have all these objections to other things in the Bible, if you're dealing with people who have objections in other places in the Bible, I want you to turn their eyes away from their objections into faith. And that starts with pointing back at your faith for them. Because they may not know what that looks like anywhere else. You know, we have a lot of bad models for Christian faith in our past, right? Every person in this room, I imagine, could come up with a horror story of someone who claimed the name of Jesus Christ and then abused that name to do something wicked, right? They, they used the name of Jesus, and then they, they took advantage of people. There was a guy in my last church 
Right? He came into the church, good Christian man, da 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 da. Got people to buy into his big business idea. He he, he built people for 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 hundreds of thousands of dollars in some some business idea that was going to pay off one day. Da 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 da. Not a Ponzi scheme, just a bad investment. And then once once it all dried up, he disappeared. Right? He was like a like a like a respected person in the church. Right? That hurts people's understanding. And so we have to take people who have all these bad experiences of church people, and then we have to point them back at us, which is very tough to do. Because if you're like me, and you understand who you are, you don't always want people looking too closely at who you are, right? But I'm opening myself up to that because I know, I know that Christ is continuing to sanctify me today. And I try not to put myself up as a finished product. I try to tell y'all on a regular basis, I am broken just like anyone else in this world. That I, I struggle, that I'm not a, a picture-perfect Christian. But I'm working towards holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit day by day. And so when I'm dealing with people with objections, I say, follow me as I follow Christ. It's a beautiful story that Paul tells uh, to, to, to believers. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you're dealing with people with objections, point them back to your faith. Tell them your story. Tell them who you were before Christ. Tell them who you are now and invite them to walk with you through that because the works of God are not deniable. What God has done in your life is not up for debate. It's not up for some sort of interpretation. It is your story of God's faithfulness. No one else has that story. Share your story of God's faithfulness and let people examine the works of God in your life. The, the truth of who God, Christ is may be too hard for them to understand, but as they examine the works of God in your life, faith can begin to take root through a model that you have. There's a reason that Jesus took 12 guys and wandered around with them for three years. Right? They saw in him who he was. They didn't just hear him teach uh, on a weekly basis. They didn't just kind of know him. They lived alongside of him. They saw him stub his toe. They watched him as he dealt with difficult people in trying circumstances. And all the while he said, watch me. And his works, what he did, the miracles that he did, the signs that he did, validated the message that he and those works still validate the message of Jesus Christ. Your life, your testimony of what God took you from and what God has made you into and is still making you into is a work of God. We should point people to it. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you're not done. Right? You're not done. And don't put yourself up like you're not done. This is, pastors used to do this really badly. Right? Like the, there's probably been a guy who stood in this general region of the world the old sanctuary didn't face this direction, did it? The old sanctuary faced this direction? I don't know. Right? There's probably been somebody who stood here once upon a time who you would never know has ever sinned in his life. Right? We just put ourselves up. There's a, we have a tendency, pastors definitely, a tendency to put ourselves up. We stand on a pedestal already. Right? <laughs> it's not hard to get up another couple. Right? Don't, don't, don't give people a fake image of who you are. You're not done. Right, you're still breathing, so God still is working on sanctifying you. But tell people about who God is. If they can't believe it, show them who he is through your life. Demonstrate that to them. Love them. 
Show them who God is and who God's made you to be. And then Jesus leaves there and he went away across the Jordan River, verse 40, at a place where John had been baptizing uh, initially, John the Baptist, and there he remained. And many people came to Jesus and they said to him, John didn't do any signs, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in Jesus there. See, they, 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 they said, John didn't do the signs that you did, and now you're here, and John told us about you, but we weren't quite ready to believe you. But we see the signs that you've done, and now we're ready to believe. So if the signs validate the message, then examine the signs and believe in the one who God sent. That is your job as a Christian, is to show people the way to examine and believe. God's works, every work that God has done, testifies to who Jesus is. Every single work that God has done in your life testifies who Jesus is. And for some reason, we're stingy in telling people about that. I'm not sure why that is. I, I think it's a couple reasons. I think one is we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection, right? We're afraid that if we tell people that there's a God who loves them enough to die on the cross for their sins that there's going to be an awkward conversation because you have to tell them they're sinners, and they are wicked, wicked sinners, like you, right? like me, put me in there. They're, they're, they're wicked. No one likes to be told they're wicked. In fact, I, I told you all that like a couple months ago. My small group fought on me because I didn't take, include myself in the wickedness. We're all wicked, right? God is, God's made a way for you to have salvation, but we have to tell people that, even if it's uncomfortable. But even if there might be rejection, the other thing is we don't like putting ourselves up as an example because we know that when we're examined closely under close scrutiny, there are character defects in our life that people will see. But if you lived in my house, which I have a, a house full, I may not even notice if you did. Um, if you lived in my house alongside of me, you'd be like, huh, Matt, I thought you were a preacher. Right? There'd be a time somewhere along the way like, huh, that's interesting, pastor, right? Like, like uh, my daughters are, are, are not making eye contact with me right now, which is kind of uncomfortable for me. I hope it's not too regular, right? But if under close examination, there's, there's areas in my life where you'd be like, ooh, character defects. I'll try to tell you about those so that you're not surprised by them anyways, right? That's sarcasm. It's not, not, not a gift of the Spirit. Not. I understand it. I got pride. Not a gift of the Spirit. I understand. I'm not... Not proud of that. That was bad. Right? Like, I understand that I've got some issues, but there's some things that I'm probably blinded to. But we're scared. If we, if we put our lives up and say, examine my life and see what God has done in me, they're going to examine your life, and they're going to find faults in who you are. I want you to know that, that, that what they're going to find, though, truly, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is they're going to find a, a thread of God's faithfulness. Because you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been sanctified daily from the moment of your And while those steps may not be clear to you, they're clear to others. Offer yourself as an example of what God has done. Let people examine the works of God and then come to believe because all of the works of God point to who Jesus is, that he is the Christ and not just some Christ king is one with God the Father. And because Christ is one with God the Father, we have an opportunity and we have an obligation to let the world know. And 
beautiful things about Christ being one with the Father. God allows us to share in salvation.